Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Tomorrow, Time Magazine is going to name uh, the person of the year. Vladimir Putin is one of the nine finalists, and so is Barbie, the doll. <laughs> Insulting the humans, kind of, but Putin and Barbie actually have a lot more in common than you would think. They both live in mansions. They both love horses. They both dabble in the martial arts. They love to play dress up. You can see they wear many of the same outfits. I mean, Putin is basically ruthless dictator Barbie. All right. Good morning and welcome to Morning Joe. It's Wednesday, December 6th. We've got a lot to get to this morning, including Donald Trump's response to questions about his promise to use a possible second term to seek revenge and retribution. We'll show you what he said. Plus, Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville finally drops his hold on hundreds of military promotions. But he's trying to spin it as both sides not getting what they want. Let that breathe. Also ahead, the partisan fight over the Senate's foreign aid package. One contentious issue is threatening to sink the bill. We'll have the very latest from Capitol Hill. Along with Joe, Willie, and me, we have the host of Way Too Early, White House Bureau Chief at Politico, Jonathan Lemire, congressional investigations reporter for The Washington Post, Jackie Alemany, and White House editor for Politico, Sam Stein. Good to have you all with us this morning. Our top story this hour, the Israeli military has now entered southern Gaza's largest city. Israeli forces clashed with Hamas terrorists in fierce gun battles yesterday. Officials described the fighting as the, quote, most intense day since the beginning of the ground operation. Israel's widening air and ground offenses has displaced even more Palestinians. The United Nations estimates more than 80 percent of Gaza's population has now been driven out of their homes since the start of the war. But Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has no plans to stop the assault amid his vow to destroy Hamas. Yesterday, Netanyahu said Israel must retain open-ended security control over Gaza after the war ends in order to ensure the territory remains demilitarized. He said, quote, no international force can be responsible for this. I'm not ready to close my eyes and accept any other arrangement. Willie? Meanwhile, President Biden is blaming Hamas for the end of the seven-day truce. During a campaign event yesterday in Boston, the president said the female survivors and witnesses to the October 7th attacks are now sharing accounts of, quote, unimaginable cruelty. He added, quote, the world cannot just look away from what's going on. It's on all of us to forcefully condemn the sexual violence. Biden then spoke about the hostages, saying, quote, these are civilian women, mostly between the ages of 20 and 39. Let me be crystal clear. Hamas's refusal to release the remaining young women is what broke this deal 
and ended the pause in the fighting. So, uh, Joe, that's what the president, a, a campaign event up in Boston, among many things he said that we'll get into uh, yesterday up there. But this is an issue, the sexual violence that has been pushed, and it has to have been pushed because so many international organizations have ignored it. This is a central issue now as the president pushes and talks about what Hamas is doing and has done to the Israelis. Well, and, and, and yet it's something, Jackie Alemany, for some reason, um, international organizations have not wanted to talk about. And yet the, the video evidence of unspeakable sexual abuse to torture, torture sexual torture to Israeli women verified by NBC News, it, it just is beyond the pale and obviously very shocking that more international organizations are not coming out speaking clearly and strongly against it and unequivocally as well as as well as some people on Capitol Hill. It is extremely confounding, especially to see, as you just noted, these progressive lawmakers um, over the weekend, just Pramila Jayapal, twist themselves uh, into knots to avoid speaking unequivocally on the issue, condemning something that is very clearly, uh, uh, you know, should be considered a war crime um, and and again, unequivocally condemned. Um, it's it's hard to imagine how we've gotten to this sort of situation and environment where even saying uh, that that raping women um, as a tool of war is a controversial thing yeah. to say. Yeah, and, and, and Sam Stein, the raping of women, uh, so much so that their 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 pelvic bones were broken uh, and, and killed. Uh, uh, genital mutilation in the most unspeakable terms uh, that, that I can't even we can't even talk about here on television uh, this morning. It's so unspeakable. Uh, and and and. And then to the horror of the families after these 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 just poor Jewish women were just savaged in the most unimaginable way, then paraded through the streets with cheering, cheering Palestinians, cheering on them being dragged through the streets like meat, like right. cadavers uh, and their family members and and Jews worldwide seeing people celebrating the absolute savaging of Jewish women. Uh, is unspeakable. And that's what international organizations and some some progressives on Capitol Hill just can't see clear uh, to speak out against in unequivocal terms. It's always, yes, but, well, this happens in war. No, it really, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. Doesn't happen in, in all wars. And this is, again, this is next level violence against women. Yeah, you know, when I um, when I initially heard Sheryl uh, Sandberg speak out about it in a, a fairly viral video, calling for people to just sort of condemn the act of rape as a, as a tool of war, I got to be honest, my initial thought was, why does she need to say this? Of course, everyone's going to condemn it, right? I mean, it just didn't make sense to me or compute uh, that there was a need to tell people to condemn it. And then, of course, Joe, to your point, uh, you look around and, in fact— um, it hasn't been universally condemned, or at least people have been equivocating uh, when asked about it. Uh, and it's confounding. Um, it should be the easiest thing in the world to say uh, this is a morally uh, repugnant uh, and has no place in society and is against the 
uh, or should be against the rules of war. Um, but, you know, it's hard for me to actually explain what, what is happening here uh, because it is so confounding. Well, and, and, I do, and I do understand what you're saying. You know, when you talk to people, they, they want to say, well, it happens all, on both sides. And, uh, you know, this is a, a modern tool of welfare. And the truth of the matter is you don't need to no. say that. Uh, you can just say this is wrong. Uh, this is wrong. It should be condemned and, right. and move on with your life and feel good about it. Well, it, it doesn't happen on both sides, actually. Well, and this was the right. systematic Israelis, strategy to yeah, go it, in and terrorize and traumatize. And this right. was used as part of their goal to go in there and not just decimate people and kidnap people, but also to rape women in front of their husbands, fathers and kids and to have gang rapes happening and to rape them to death. And one woman was shot while she was being raped. This is not just something that sort of happens along the way. This was, I mean, they juiced themselves up with drugs and ran in there with the intent of doing and that to women. not only did that, it was a plan that they were going to savage these women and, and mutilate them, uh, rape them to death. So it they, felt, felt they, a little ignored along the way. They were then going to videotape it. So the whole world could see it and videotape these women being paraded around again through Gaza while Palestinians cheered wildly and again treated these savaged women who were raped to death uh, like, like again, like trophies and and animals. Yeah, the, the fact is, again, with all due respect to the Congresswoman, this doesn't happen in all wars. Maybe that's a moral equivocation that makes her sleep better at night. It doesn't happen in wars. Israelis aren't doing that to Palestinian women. Uh, they are trying to kill terrorists that hide behind civilians. Hospitals, schools, um, Americans, basements, Americans, under a hospital. <laughs> if American troops, and, and we, we actually had... Elise Jordan talk about what in, in World War II, uh, what, what happened, American troops, uh, you, you'd be executed. If you did something like this, you would be executed. Uh, you, you'd be tried and, 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 and most likely uh, put to death. Uh, in, as Elise was saying in World War II, uh, it doesn't happen all over the place. But, but when they do, it's atrocities. I mean, there were uh, definite atrocities in Ukraine. Um, we're, we're not saying, you know, that we've never seen this before. But what right. you saw in this attack on October 7th was a systematic effort to do this to women. Right. And then for weeks to have women's organizations, the U.N. and others, you know, finally recognize it. That was the issue. The system. We'll talk yeah. about this more. The, the, Willie, the, it was systematic. It was planned. It was filmed. Right. And it was distributed so the whole world could see this absolute barbaric uh, behavior toward women. And yeah. there are still people who want to equivocate. Yeah, not only is it explicitly in their planning documents, so we know that this was part of a strategy, but it's also on GoPro. So if you want to be a truther and pretend these things didn't happen on October 7th, shame on you. But we are hearing that equivocation, I think. Joe, it probably amounts to a lot of people who think Israel is bad generally and wrong here. And so everything that happens in this war, they have to lump themselves on the other side. As we've said many times, you can want 
a good life for the Palestinian people. You want to respect their their humanity, the civilians. You can think that Israel is prosecuting the war wrong, if that's your opinion. But my God, if you can't say what happened on October 7th is inhumane and grotesque and wrong and bad, there's just something wrong with you. So we'll yeah. come back to this Amen. war in just a moment. But let's also turn to Ukraine, because the aid that the United States has been providing for the last almost two years now is into question. Republicans, Republicans so far saying a foreign aid is part of a national security bill. The bill also must include money for the southern border. Yesterday, Senate Democrats unveiled a $111 billion national security package, which includes foreign aid and measures targeting the border. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said he would give Republicans a vote on a Republican written border policy amendment if they vote today in favor of opening debate on the foreign aid package to do it separately. The offer was rejected by his counterpart in the Senate, Republican Mitch McConnell. Yesterday, Schumer warned his Republican colleagues what is expected of them and what the Republican Party of old would think about it. If Republicans want to bring up immigration right now, right in the middle of trying to pass aid to Ukraine and other issues, the onus is on them to present serious bipartisan proposals that can get broad support from Democrats. Ronald Reagan would be rolling in his grave, rolling in his grave, if he saw his own party let Vladimir Putin roll roll through Europe. So once again, I urge my Republican colleagues to think carefully about carefully about what's at stake with this week's vote. What we do now will reverberate across the world for years and decades to come. So, Jackie, take us inside the dynamics in the Senate. The House is one thing, obviously, but the Senate, this briefing yesterday, a bipartisan briefing um, where the Department of Defense, Department of State tried to prevail upon Republicans to get the Ukraine funding passed. They say if we don't fund them, they're going to lose the war, that Putin's going to roll through Ukraine. Um, But they want attached to it, to this legislation, border protections, border security money. Schumer, as we heard there, says we will do that, but let's do it separately. How is this going to play out? That is the fundamental issue here, that Democrats ultimately do not want to appropriate this money with border funding. And Republicans don't trust Democrats enough. They don't don't trust what Senator Schumer just proposed there to do this separately because they don't think that it will ultimately uh, get pushed through. And and this is life with such slim majorities in both the Senate and uh, the House, where, you know, these two to three vote majorities, uh, it makes it all but impossible to get things through this highly contentious and and polarized environment, especially on these issues, immigration uh, and foreign aid, when especially when the Republican Party, the tides have clearly turned towards this more isolationist um, posture and, and overall foreign spending in general is becoming increasingly popular. And the more and more the administration and Democratic lawmakers on the Hill try to make the case that we should be dedicating more money towards Ukraine, uh, Israel, et cetera, um, you know, even foreign funding for for climate projects and, and really, you know, spending across the board, the more Republicans are doubling down on their desire to to withhold that money uh, and then sort of redirect the attention to the lack of funding that the Biden administration is throwing their weight behind when it comes to the border, which if you talk to any progressive uh, Hispanic congressional caucus groups, they they simply don't believe that that money will make 
any sort of difference on the border, that there is an inherent policy problem when it comes to immigration, and that just throwing resources, more um, border patrol, et cetera, is not going to make any kind of difference and is really just sort of a, a, a performative um, throwing some, some red meat at an issue to, to rile up the base ahead of a big election year. So, uh, Jonathan Lemire, that may be what progressive uh, lobbying groups think on Capitol Hill. That is not what independent voters, that is not what swing voters in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada think. It's not even close to what they think. Immigration is a massive issue and will be a massive issue in 2024 for these groups. Maybe not the general electorate at large, but for these groups, this is going to be a significant issue. You go through any polling, you look, you, you look through polls with independent voters in New Hampshire and independent voters in all of these places. The border actually is because there's chaos there. And we, we, we have said Barack Obama and Joe Biden's administration, when they left, had the lowest uh, number of illegal border crossings from Mexico in 50 years. Things have gotten worse through uh, the last two administrations. So I guess I don't understand. Get, get, tell me what the thinking is of Democrats. I don't understand why Democrats don't trade Ukraine funding for strong border security. We've said it here before. If I were Democrats, I would say, okay, Republicans, I see your border security uh, bill and I raise you some. They have to go into this election showing independent swing voters, uh, disaffected Republicans. Let me say the states again. In Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada. Let me add New Hampshire to that. Voters who want to see this White House and this Democratic Party doing something significant on border security. Yeah, and those in the White House will say privately they recognize that border security and, and immigration writ large is a real political weakness for this president heading into his election year. I think there is a willingness to deal, but it's a question of how much and what they want to be seen as, as, as doing. But now the Republicans are, some Republican senators still want to make this happen, but it's, un, they seem to be at a real impasse right now. And, and Jackie, it, people I talked to on the Hill last day or so, just, they feel like they're the votes just aren't there, that they're just really not sure how this package is going to get done, that we're going to barrel into the winter holidays, that recess, unable to provide aid to Israel or Ukraine to come up with border security. None of it. And I'm curious as to, A, what you think in terms of your own whip count, if you will, but also to talk to us about the role Mitch McConnell is playing in this, who for so long was a champion, a real champion among Republicans for Ukraine aid, but now seems to be somewhat diminished in his ability to, to get a deal done. McConnell's totally seen the writing on the wall and actually advised his members to vote against the package because he thinks that they need to to take a stand and, and sort of um, take this show vote to show that they're not going to budge on border security. But the conversations that my colleagues and I were have been having all week and actually really since last week is that. We need to reckon with the fact that Ukraine funding is probably not going to get done, mm. uh, even Israel funding, which 
every single person in in the U.S. Congress is mostly behind. There are some discrepancies on you know how many conditions or assurances some people want. Bernie Sanders came out with that letter yesterday uh, that called for the U.S. to take uh, for for Biden to at least um, enforce currently existing U.S. laws when it comes to uh, giving, appropriating that aid to Israel and the way that they're spending that, making sure that they're not bombing civilians with U.S. bombs um, when it, as they continue their attack on, on Gaza. Um, but uh, I doubt, and, and you heard GOP members say this last week, that any of this is going to get done, if anything does get done, before Christmas. Um, you had Max Miller, one of the only yeah. Jewish members in the House GOP conference, say last week that, that he was infuriated by this, that, that, you know, even in the case that something did ultimately come to the House floor in this very little time left before the Christmas um, holiday and Christmas recess, that Speaker Johnson has still said that there needs to be offsets when it comes to Israel funding. That's not going to go through in the Senate. So it is, uh, you know, McConnell and Johnson are at odds with each other. And it's um, it's it's reflective of the entire uh, system and the way things are working in Congress right now. Well, what an absolute shock that the the new speaker is once again a wow. raging hypocrite. Once again, on, on just about everything, he, he, he said, I can't believe, again, read the Bible. What? Hypocrisy? Lying? It is constant. Offsets? Did he talk about offsets with Donald Trump when when, when Johnson? January 6th. Oh, I know. That's what I'm saying. He lies about it through his teeth. I, I don't know. I haven't I haven't read that in the Gospels. I haven't read it that you can lie if you want to gain power. You can lie. You know, it's like Liz Cheney talking about her, her her conversations with Mike Johnson going, you know, this is wrong. Your constitutional law. He goes, yeah, I know it's wrong. I know there's no basis for what I'm doing. Basically, I know I'm lying, but I want to get close to Donald Trump. Like the pursuit of power. He is he is he's he's actually become he's he's just like a televangelist. He really is. It's Jim and Tammy Baker, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, 2023. And he's lying to Republicans. He's lying to evangelicals. He's lying through his teeth. And now, even on something as small as offsets, we have to have offsets. We have to have for despite the fact that Donald Trump and I raised the deficit and raised the national debt more in four years than any president did for the first 220 years in American history. Now he wants offsets. It's so hypocritical. Sam Stein, though, I've got a question. I asked about, and this is why I think this makes such, this deal makes so much sense. I asked about the Biden administration. Why don't they do the deal on border security, be strong and tough, right? Well, I'm wondering, do the the Republicans really want to go into 2024 being the party that allowed Vladimir Putin to complete his invasion of a sovereign country in Europe? First time since Hitler and like 1941, does he really want to be, do Republicans really want to be that party? And do they want to be the party that won't fund Israel against Hamas? That's how it's lining up. Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to what each party thinks is the potency of each issue, right? Uh, Democrats 
recognize if you talk to them that they have a vulnerability when it comes to migration at the southern border, uh, border reform policies. In fact, our reporting uh, indicates that the Biden administration in particular is pressing Hill Democrats to get a deal. Uh, they, they, they both recognize that it is a, a logistical nightmare at the border. Uh, they're hearing from tons of Democrats in uh, municipalities as well as governors who say we are getting inundated with migrants being shipped up to us or making their way to us. And they also know that Republicans will use this as an issue. On the flip side, to your point, Joe, uh, you got to wonder, are there some Republicans out there saying to themselves, do we want to go into 2024 uh, being the ones who voted down a package for Ukraine and Israeli aid? Could that be used against us? I think it can. I mean, I, 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 you would have to imagine in prior times that would be a vulnerability politically, uh, all of which suggests that there might be uh, opening for some sort of deal or pared down deal. But of course, everything is sort of like it's all about the details, right? You know, if you if you go into the details of the immigration policy reforms, the, each side agrees that there should be reforms to the asylum system, but they have disagreements over whether there should be an end to humanitarian parole, for instance. And so it's like the nitty gritty details that this thing's going to live or die. And right now, mm-hmm. uh, it looks like it's not on a path to uh, salvation, honestly. All right. Coming up in just one minute, the Atlantic's Frank Four will join us with his piece for the special issue of the magazine outlining the threats of a potential second term for Donald Trump. Plus, the former president gave voice to some of those warnings in an interview last night on Fox News. We'll show you those comments in 60 seconds. And Tommy Tuberville, he folds, he folds after wrecking the lives of military men and women for a year. Oh, it was worth it. The International Rescue Committee works in more than 50 countries, serving people whose lives have been upended by war, conflict, and natural disasters. In places like Gaza, Ukraine, and Lebanon, displaced families are experiencing rough winter weather on top of war, hunger, and displacement. All of this has driven up food prices, destroyed infrastructure, and driven millions from their homes. Donations help the IRC provide families with resources like food, shelter, fuel, medicine, blankets, and cash assistance. Donate today by visiting rescue.org rebuild. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. I, I expect so, but look, he, he is running, and I just I have to run. You drop out of no, not now. All right, President yeah. Biden yesterday, when asked to clarify yeah. comments he made you know, at a fundraiser a earlier problem. in the day, this is a problem. Er, he, so he says early in the day, I probably wouldn't be running if Trump wasn't running, right? He's yeah. just talking to donors. Well, you just say things, right? Like you just make up stuff. Like FSU deserves to be in the college football oh, championship playoff. You just say things that you oh, don't mean wow. because they're ridiculous. But you know that's a problem. We've got a culture that's got. Like TV shows, Willie. 
that like talk about politics <laughs> for four hours. That's not good no. for America. Can you imagine? Did you do that? Can you imagine? I can't. It's a disaster. No, I can't. Yeah. Can you imagine waking up nuts. at four thirty and talking for seventeen years? No, you don't have to be certifiable. You have to be crazy not well. for sixteen not years. Not well. Crazy, but Anywho. really, well, so he he says, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't even be running if Trump were here, right? Just offhanded comment. So everybody, whoa, this is the biggest story of all time. No, not really. I could name quite a few more. Uh, yeah. Including okay. FSU, apparently. Top of mind for you. I think we'll get to that in, in just a little while. Um, viewed, what, <laughs> the comment, Jonathan Lemire, Come obviously, on, set, off, set off some alarm bells, right? But what he was talking about through that entire uh, event was what a danger Donald Trump was, what a danger Donald Trump is and would be if he were elected again. And I've got to stand in the doorway of democracy. And that's effectively why I'm running against him. Clarified a little bit there. Yeah. I mean, why later. it raised eyebrows is what President Biden said aloud is what most people have said privately. Right. And frankly, people close to him have indicated that he is running again because he views Donald Trump as a as a fundamental threat to our nation's democracy and that that's why he has to be defeated. And, and there are questions, of course, we, we we know when Biden ran the first time, he considered he that he might be a transitional candidate. Some read into that like, oh, he's only going to serve one term. He'll hand <laughs> off to the next generation. He, of course, never actually pledged to do that. Uh, and he has made very clear that he is running. He is running running again. It comes at a moment where there are some Democrats very nervous about the president's poll numbers, but you are nah. right that this is a moment where it's really, uh, Joe, that the biggest, the reason why he said it and the reason why it's in yeah. the ether right now is because there is so much conversation, rightly, about what a second Trump term would look like. There's been great media right. coverage about it, and a number of Trump's former officials, including Mark Esper on this very network yesterday, warned that our democracy would be in danger were Trump to win. That's what yeah. Biden was trying to get and his pe- and his and his people that are going to be around him are saying for the country. we're coming for you. We're gonna we're gonna go after. We're gonna prosecute people. Yeah. I mean, again, yeah, we're going after everybody. So so they're saying it. I gotta say though, Jonathan, there's a debate. I know there's been a debate for some time. How hard Joe Biden should go against Donald Trump, and uh, which is ridiculous, I think, because Donald Trump goes after Joe Biden every day. And the reason Joe Biden's running is because of the danger Donald Trump poses to America. And now you got the governors. I saw the New York Times article and the governors are, oh, well, he shouldn't talk about Donald Trump. He should talk about, uh, you know, wind turbines or whatever they were talking about. There are a lot of other it's things so to talk stupid. about. No, but it's so stupid. Abortion. It's, like, it's like, you know, cut your cut. Cut your ribbons and, yeah. and, and, and go visit your water management districts, governors, and you do your thing and let the president run the campaign he needs to run. But there is this pressure for some reason for him to not talk about a man who is promising to terminate the Constitution, execute disloyal generals, take news networks off the air, uh, continue, continue to take rights away from women, take health care away from working class Americans. Put personal valets in the administration instead of experts. Yeah. And, and, and again, to, to prosecute, to go after, to execute people like and to do it on his first day in office, like he's promising to do this. So, again, Why is that debate going on whether he should go after Donald Trump or not? 
Steve Bannon and Cash Patel, two influential Trump advisors, reiterated yesterday that among their first targets would be the news networks that Donald Trump opposes, that they're making clear they're coming. They said, we're coming for you if Trump were to win again. And there had been some debate within the Biden world as to the best approach. Joe, you and I have talked about this a lot this year, about how over the summer they really tried to focus on more of a pro-Biden, Bidenomics, positive message. Doesn't work. That shifted. And I first reported, and we've talked about it right around the election day, uh, about a month or so back, this campaign pivoted. And they are now drawing contrast after contrast after contrast with Trump. They've gone on the attack. They have basically every day highlighted something Trump has said and said, look, this is what he did before in his first term. This is what he's promised again in the second term. We won't be the same country on the other side were he to be president again. Right. And I got to say, Willie, the, 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 the New York Times piece talking to the governor saying, oh, you know, he should just stay away from Donald Trump. That worked really well for Rand Paul. That worked well for Marco Rubio. That worked well. It's working well for Republicans who say, oh, well, you know, we're going to just talk about how green the pastures will be and how daffodils will sprout throughout America if we're allowed to be. No. They're running against a guy that wants to destroy democracy. If you want to beat him, you have to destroy him politically, politically, day in and day out and go after him day in and day out. But again, all these candidates keep thinking we can win if we just ignore Donald Trump. The Republicans, the Republicans, all the Republicans think that we can just win if we just ignore Donald Trump. It doesn't work. It's not working in the Republican primary, that's for sure. And what if, as the White House and the Biden campaign would argue, you could do both things, which is go after Donald Trump and brag about the economy and brag about the infrastructure bill and the achievements you think you've had over the last four years. That's how you run a campaign. So they're starting to do that, definitely putting their foot on the gas against Donald Trump, perhaps because of moments like this. Last night in a Fox News town hall, Sean Hannity asked Donald Trump twice, coaching him along, as he often does in these interviews, if Trump planned to abuse his power if elected to a second term. Trump told the Iowa audience he would not be a dictator, except for on his first day in office. I want to be very, very clear on this. To be clear, do you in any way have any plans whatsoever, if reelected president, to abuse power, to break the law, to use the government to go after people? You mean like they're using right now? So... In the history of our country, what's happened to us, again, has never happened before. Over nonsense, over nothing, made up charges. I often say Al Capone, he was one of the greatest of all time, if you like criminals. He was a mob boss, the likes of which Scarface, they call him. And he got indicted once. I got indicted four times. I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except Look, what? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill. That's drill, not a that's, drill. That's not, no, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, we love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. 
It's kind of like that. Believe him. We talked about this. We talked about this. Remember the answer we talked about, and Donald Trump doesn't do it. He had previous interview members said, you didn't take all those documents back to your beach club. I did, and I had the right to do it. And Hannity kind of <laughs> droops his head. But the point is, again, he's saying now just explicitly, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff on day one, and if anybody believes it's going to end in day one, I've got a bridge to sell you across the river here. So this is yeah. what we're hearing from Donald Trump more and more. And it's the reason we're hearing more and more from Joe Biden about the dangers of a potential second term. Well, I mean, Willie, think about it. If any other politician in American history were asked the question, are you going to be a dictator? <laughs> no, Donald Trump never answered it. He never answered no. it. And the, when he said, and I just want there, there's a sickness there is a sickness among, unfortunately, some of our fellow Americans regarding authoritarianism and totalitarianism. They want it because, mm-hmm. Willie, when he promised that he would be a dictator on day one, he got applause. Well, and that's even on before, Fox News. Even and before there's he a ta- lot of people watching. Who even are before right on board. he talked, even before he talked about the border, which. A majority of Americans would support closing the border today, probably an overwhelming majority, are drilling. By the way, what a stupid thing to say. Drill, drill, drill. What a stupid thing to say. You can tell he doesn't even read the newspapers and the people applauding that don't even read the newspapers. U.S. oil production. Yep. Record highs. We are drilling more and producing more oil, whether you like it or not, we are we are drilling more oil now than the Saudis, getting more oil out of the ground than the Saudis, getting more oil out of the ground than Russia. What are you going to drill, your teeth? We're already doing it. Like, But that just shows, Willie, how stupid he is. And I've got to say, people who applaud, drill, 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 how stupid they are, because that's what we're doing right now. In fact... Record like Biden's administration. I know a lot of people on the left aren't going to like this. Their like their their presidency is seeing more oil production than any other presidency in U.S. history. And yet they applaud drill, drill, drill. They also could be victims of a cult like personality. Well, listen, this is this is this is this the way is it's not good. For pers- America. This is a personality cult. It's yes. very bad for America. And make no mistake of it. A large chunk of those people in that audience cheering when Donald Trump said, I'll be a dictator on day one. Well, they want that. Yeah, there's I mean, look at the polling. This race is going to be close right down to the end because of the applause that you heard in that room last night. Let's talk more about this with staff writer at The Atlantic, Frank Four. Frank is one of the contributors to the magazine's special issue on the threats a second Trump term would pose. His piece is titled Corruption Unbound. So yesterday, Frank, we were talking about some of the foreign policy stuff with David Frum, about a potential withdrawal from NATO and the implications of that. What are you writing about this morning? Which corruption specifically? 
Right. If you go back and you look at the first Trump term, there was a great deal of corruption. You had uh, cabinet secretaries uh, traveling on private jets. You had uh, paid for by people who uh, they were administering. You had all sorts of people who wanted to change policy, paying the Trump resorts and hotels enormous sums of money with the hopes that that, too, would change policy. We also saw the way in the first Trump term that Trump tried to use the regulatory state to punish enemies. Well, that was all just a dry run. Everybody figured out the way that the system works. So if the first Trump term was what Paul Krugman described as malevolence tempered by incompetence, the second Trump term would be tempered by all of the experience that was gleaned. There is know-how now. And there's a term that the uh, Hungarians have to describe what emerged there under Viktor Orban, which was that a mafia state emerged. So if the Trump officials come in, clear out the deep state, install their cronies in power, those cronies have no uh, allegiance to higher norms or higher values. They will all be susceptible to corruption. And the the way the system works is, is that you start to have this corruption that emerges at the center and is protected by all of these foot soldiers who were also profiting along the way. Frank, I want to start with highlighting another line from President Biden at one of the fundraisers in Boston last night talking about Trump, saying he didn't show up my inauguration, which I can't say was a disappointment. And then he added, my guess is he won't show up at my next inauguration either. So certainly a very confident Joe Biden there, one that Democrats, of course, cheer. But polls suggest this is a very tight race to Willie's to Willie's point. So on the idea of political corruption, were Trump to get that second term, talk to us also about how he could enrich himself even further, family members, staffers, loyalists, and doing so at the expense of civil servants, of career, you know, career professionals and the American taxpayer. Well, we saw the way in which his family clearly enriched themselves along the way and on the way out the door got paid billions of dollars by foreign governments. You saw the way in the first Trump term where foreign governments that wanted to manipulate Trump were able to spend money on his properties. The government of Qatar bought a building, uh, bought a a unit in a Trump building for six million dollars. Trump never disentangled himself from his vast network of business interests. And so those vast that vast network of business interests becomes this ripe target that governments around the world, that interests in the United States, all know that they can spend money on, invest in, with the hopes of changing policy here. That is the very definition of corruption. Hey, Frank, it's Sam Stein here. You paint such a pleasant picture of civil society for us. I really appreciate it. Uh, I guess my question is, why don't people... I mean, you look at these polls and Willie just mentioned it's going to be a close race regardless. But at this juncture, it's fair to say uh, Trump is probably uh, the, the, you know, the the favorite to win. I guess why do people not find these issues? Why do they not find them persuasive? Why do they not see political salience in these issues? Uh, Why do people seem drawn to a degree to what Trump is overtly talking about? You know, day one dictatorships. Well, first of all, one of the things that happened during the first Trump term was that at the beginning, it wasn't very clear how much corruption his own party would tolerate. But over time, it became clear that the norms had shifted, that his party was willing to forgive whatever corruption happened on his side. Corruption simply was a bludgeon that you could use to uh, to, to wield against 
Democrats, but never against your own team. Your own team was never corrupt. So you have the way in which it's become a polarized sort of, sort of issue. But I do think in the end, the democracy questions will be uh, the most powerful quiver in uh, 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 Joe Biden's bow, that in 2022, he framed that election as a binary choice between himself and Trump-style authoritarianism, with abortion being mm-hmm. one of the primary illustrations of that. And it worked. Yeah, uh, it, it did work. And, and and this is this is what's so uh, interesting, though, about Donald Trump. You know, uh, Orwell, I, I, I've, I've used this quote quite a few times, but George Orwell in one essay uh, talking about the difference between fascists and communists said fascists are unusually successful at propaganda turning things around, confusing the the electorate, confusing the American people. You look at Donald Trump now saying, wait a second, Joe Biden's using that democracy threat as, uh, you know, as a cudgel to say, I'm a threat to democracy. So what I'm going to say is Donald uh, or Joe Biden is a threat to democracy, right? It's, yeah. So that's exactly what he's doing. I think it was the Times that said it's a playground equivalent of, uh, no, I'm not. You are. Look at corruption. Right. Well, not you just see what the, Donald Trump has yeah. done, but look what all of the right wing media has done. They have gotten a son that had problems with crack. They have chased down every lead they could chase down. They make fools of themselves time and time again, but it has worked. They're lying about the corrupt Biden family. Like like, uh, 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 Clarence Thomas's wife talking about the Biden crime family should be on barges outside of Gitmo. Repeating this lie, this fascist attempt, this fascist lie, over and over and over again, you look at the polls, it's worked. So now half of Americans see Joe Biden as corrupt as Donald Trump, when, of course, it's such a we could list it for four hours. It is such a preposterous argument. And yet, because fascists are so good at propaganda, it's actually working. Right. Ginny Thomas flew on Leonard Leo's private jet on her way to making that accusation against Joe, uh, Joe Biden. Um, it's true. I mean, you look at the, there was clearly this nub of a narrative where Hunter Biden did a lot of shady things. And that then was inflated by the, the Fox News Republican propaganda machine into the Biden crime family, which is then portrayed as historic anomaly, the, one of the worst in history, one of the worst cases of corruption. And, uh, you know, I think that a lot of us would like to believe that that type of, um, of, of misinformation, that type of spun up narrative is something that would only uh, exist within the minds of the people who watched Fox News all day long. But when you have the power of the congressional bully pulpit and you look at the ways in which media has miscovered this issue along the way, you could see that that narrative has traveled into the mainstream, that there are a lot of independent voters, there are a lot of Democrats who also seem to believe that Joe Biden is corrupt. And so the issue becomes much more muddy than it should be. 
Frank Four, thank you very much. His piece for The Atlantic special issue is online now. And his book, The Last Politician, Inside Joe Biden's White House and the Struggle for America's Future, is available right now. Frank, thank you very much. And coming up, former U.S. Capitol Police Sergeant Acolino Ganell is our guest to discuss his new book, American Shield, the Immigrant Sergeant Who Defended Democracy. Morning Joe is coming right back. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, responds to emergencies and provides long-term solutions for refugees. They provide aid in over 130 countries, including Ukraine, Syria, Afghanistan, and Sudan, where people are forced to flee from war and persecution at their greatest moment of need. UNHCR helps and protects refugees by providing food, shelter, medical care, and other life-saving essentials. The agency jumpstarts relief in three key ways. They transport core relief items stored in even the most remote areas of the world. They deploy expert emergency staff trained to help in crisis situations. And they transfer funds directly to support the emergency. Because of generous supporters and donors, UNHCR can scale up its response within 72 hours of a large-scale emergency. Your support helps provide life-saving aid for refugees whenever and wherever emergencies occur. Donate to USA for UNHCR by visiting unrefugees.org slash donation. What transparency we should demand that the American people do. We trust, House Republicans trust the American people to draw their own conclusions. We should not, they should not be dictated by some narrative and accept that as fact. So they can review the tapes themselves. Uh, we're going through a methodical process of releasing them as quickly as we can. As you know, we have to blur some of the faces of persons who uh, participated in, in, uh, in the events of that day because we don't want them to be retaliated against and, uh, and, and, and to be charged by the DOJ and, and to have other uh, you know, concerns and problems. Okay, so lie after lie after lie again. I would love to see his Bible. I really would. What Bible he, is he, he said, reading? Look at my Bible. That's how I live. Lie after lie after lie. He's lying about transparency. Liz Cheney was saying yesterday, release all the tapes. But he's not going to release all the tapes. He'll mm. release selected portions of it. And as far as the blurring of the faces, Willie, the FBI has all of the all of the footage. Right. They've got all They're of the footage. In jail. So who is he lying to? Who does? Because the press is not stupid enough to believe him. Is he insulting Republicans? Like, why would he lie like that? The FBI has all the footage. So the DOJ has all the footage. Who's he lying to, Willie? Maybe he's just lying to himself. I don't know. But it's, again, it's an interesting Bible he has there. It's important to understand the uh, narrative in the MAGA echo chamber, which is that the story we've all been told and seen with our own eyes about what happened on January 6th is made up by the deep state, I guess, by the media, somebody. In fact, there were FBI agents there and it was a plot by the government, et cetera, et cetera. By the way, as these videos have come out and people in the MAGA media have said, look, see, there's an FBI agent. Reporters calmly and meticulously have said, nope, here's who that is. He's actually in jail right now. He's a civilian who stormed the Capitol, beat up a cop, whatever it is. So 
I don't know why Mike Johnson is doing this other than to curry favor with the base, with Donald Trump, uh, keep his job, I guess. That was Mike Johnson, the speaker yesterday, talking about blurring footage wow. from the Capitol attack before releasing it public, publicly because he doesn't want January 6th riders to be charged with crimes. Johnson's deputy chief of staff later tried to clarify those remarks, posting on social media the House would be blurring the faces to protect those who participated from forms of retaliation by non-governmental actors. He added the Department of Justice already has access to the unblurred footage. As we said, the speaker said he's releasing the footage to counter the January 6th committee's presentation of the attack on the Capitol. Jackie, how are they trying to explain their way out of this one? He was pretty explicit about the DOJ there. Yeah, I wasn't on the Hill yesterday, so I wasn't able to follow up with Johnson in person and press him about this. But, uh, you know, it's it's I think it's as simple as you've said, Willie. This is Johnson trying to curry favor with a growing pocket of the House GOP conference um, that, you know, is has been campaigning on um, on vying for freedoms for these insurrectionists, 400 of whom have already been charged by the Department of Justice, um, who already have access to all of this footage. Uh, Johnson, I think, is realizing that his his um, honeymoon is is coming to an end as hardliners, especially those in the House Freedom Caucus, the same people who have been advocating for the insurrectionists, um, for, you know, what they have said, have claimed without without evidence is um, the mistreatment behind bars. Uh, and and, and this is Johnson just trying to show, um, even though it really it, it's, it doesn't make all that much sense, that he is behind them and he sees them. Beyond the lies that they're telling, John, it remains politically confounding that they want to go back to this issue. Let's talk about January 6th again as we turn the corner to a presidential election. Most Americans believe January 6th was a terrible day and the people who beat up police officers and deface the Capitol deserve what they get and deserve what may be coming to them. And yet... Donald Trump still wants to talk about January 6th, the 2020 election. He's going to issue pardons. The Speaker of the House still talking about the videos of the people trying to change the story. Politically, it's it's wild. Yeah, first on the on the tactics of it, to, to, to Jackie's point, there's some school of thought that Johnson's trying to throw olive branches to the hard right um, on, on this, the January 6th footage, as well as the impeachment inquiry, because he's trying to cut some sort of deal to give himself cover to get some sort of spending deal done, something done that might make some of the hardliners have to make a vote they don't want. But beyond that, the larger point, this is still part of the ongoing effort, Mike, of the of the of the Republicans trying to downplay what happened on January 6th. And I have to say they've been very successful, at least with their own base. Republicans do not think what happened on January 6th was all that bad. It was a protest that got out of hand. And that's part of a larger effort to normalize what happened to help Donald Trump overcome that as he seeks a second term. You're 100% correct. They have succeeded in doing all of that. The interesting thing about uh, the speaker's comments yesterday, the irony of his comments yesterday, where they're, they're going to fuzz up the faces of the potential people in the crowd in order to protect them from future retribution or retaliation. And yet you had Liz Cheney on this air and other programs saying that she knew personally many members of Congress who would have voted to impeach Trump, but they were afraid for their families yes. because of the retribution that would be impacted upon their families. That's what we're dealing with. So let's talk to somebody who was there on the front lines that day as we continue to learn more about the emotional and physical toll the day had on the members of law enforcement who bravely defended the Capitol on January 6th. Former Capitol Police Sergeant Akalino Ganell 
will be our guest in a moment. But first, a bit of what he recounted in a hearing a few months after the attack. To be honest, I did not recognize my fellow citizens who stormed the Capitol on January 6th or the United States that they claim to represent. The rioters call me a traitor, a disgrace, and shouted that I, I, an army veteran and a police officer, should be executed. For most people, January 6th happened for a few hours. But for, but for, all, for those of us who work, were in the thick of it, it has not ended. That they continue to be a constant trauma for us literally every day, whether because of our physical or emotional injuries or both. And former U.S. Capitol Police Sergeant Cannell joins us now. He's out with a new memoir titled American Shield, the Immigrant Sergeant Who Defended Democracy. Um, Sergeant, thank you for being with us this morning. Um, it's great to have you back on the show. Um, I'm just curious, before we dive in a little bit to the book, your reaction as you hear leadership in the Republican Party and loud voices in the media try to rewrite the story of what happened on January 6th. Uh, good morning. Thanks for having me back. Uh, in respect of... Uh the new Speaker of the House uh, conflating some of the events and, and uh, trying to rewrite history is, is amazing. Uh, this is the same person who probably is a material witness to the events of January 6th. And if I were in his position, now of course I would also want to uh, blur out some of the uh, images. Uh, but then again, this is coming from a party that uh, claims to be in support of law and order and uh, the rule of law. Uh, when he says in, in the same sentence yesterday, he said, uh, we support the, uh, we are the party of law and order. We want to blur out uh, some of the faces so these people cannot be arrested and prosecuted. And also, uh, you know, to, to our dismay, also saying that uh, he wants to be transparent. How can you be transparent? And, and when you can even uh, separate those things in the same sentence. Um, in relation to what we are experiencing, and, and since January 6th, they keep telling us that we need to move on from that day, the officers and, and those of us who have spoken out, but yet the former president is running just on January 6th alone by calling those uh, uh, insurrectionists uh, hostages. And if they are hostages and uh, political prisoners, what does that make us the police officer? We defended the Capitol, we kept by oath, and we did what we were uh, signed up for. Sergeant Gunnell, you came to the United States of America when you were 12 years of age from the Dominican. Within yes, a decade, you were going to Iraq wearing the uniform of the United States of America as a, as a United States Army member. Uh, then you became a member of the Capitol Police Force and you wore the uniform of the United States Capitol Police. Yeah. We know what happened to you. We know what happened on January 6th. What do you think today of the United States of America? I mean, it's, uh, uh, we're going through a terminus times. So it's amazing that a lot of, as I speak in my book, American Shield, uh, you have a lot of people that claim to be conservative, claiming to be supportive of the Constitution, our democracy. And we have even gone to war 
uh, for it. That's one of the main reasons why we ended up in Iraq in the first place. Um, and as a soldier and also as a police officer, I devoted half of my life to defend and protect this country. And January 6th was no different uh, from, for me. Uh, and to hear some of these people, the very same people who I protected uh, and, and ran for their lives with the time that we allowed them to go and hide in their safe house or evacuate the building, uh, saying that first it was it was Antifa, then the FBI, then these are innocent people, then these are political prisoners, then these are hostages, then they desecrate our national anthem with creating a January 6th anthem, and the former president also um, uh, used that as a badge of honor. Uh, so they, this is... Um, uh, desensitizing and condoning that behavior for future uh, use. And, and it's amazing that they had abandoned and betrayed uh, those principles and values as, as I speak in my book. So, Sergeant, on the topic of your book, American Shield, which is available now, tell us a little bit more about your long road to recovery after the, the injuries you suffered there on, on January 6th and, and, and what, you, what you think about your own future. Um, I have made a lot of strides, uh, both physical, mental, and also morally. Um, you know, it's been, uh, you know, from the image that you show me testifying in front of the Congress, it's almost three years. Um, it's night and day for me. Uh, a lot of the physical injury has uh, healed. However, the moral and the mental are the one that plays a big part in my life because how can I? Uh, if I were to be, a, uh, if I were a police officer still, how can I pr uh, do my job in, a, uh, in, in part, impartially when some of the very same people who I protected now say that nothing happened? And would, if something else would to happen and a uh, insurrection part two happened, would they help me secure the door of the Capitol or would they restrain me to prevent me from doing my job? And this, so that's a content fear. I think some of the officers uh, who still work mm -hmm. at the Capitol may have. Um, you know, we are protecting. Yes, we're supposed to be uh, neutral in terms of those things, but how can you not when some of the very same people who we protect are calling for threats, uh, amplifying those threats, and uh, desecrating the sacrifices that officer like uh, Signey uh, pay the price for as a result of yeah. uh, his doing uh, an action that he took on that day. And, you know, he didn't die uh, perhaps out of um, a hit, or, but he died as a result of that horrific day on January 6th. And many people need to realize that it was not a peaceful uh, uh, protest getting out of hand. This was a deliberate attack, as I mentioned in my book, American Shield. And people need to learn. My story, my book, is not just about January 6th. It's about sacrifices that I have made throughout my life since I right. arriving here in the United States at age 12, learning the language, yeah. assimilating, overcoming mm -hmm. a lot of obstacles and, and adversities, and also devoting my, half of my life, uh, both in the military and as a Capitol right. Police, uh, to defend this country uh, for the, the opportunity they had given me. So, 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 Sergeant, this is like, uh, let me just say, I am so grateful for you and your service to America, an immigrant who came to this country, who learned the, 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 the English language, 
who not only assimilated and succeeded, but chose to, to, to wear the uniform, to serve our country in combat, uh, and then to become a police officer. It is an extraordinary story, an American shield. What a book. I, I would guess that Fox News is calling you nonstop to have this incredible patriotic American success story on. When are you going to go on Fox News and Newsmax and uh, the Joe Rogan show? We're very excited about I want I want to know because I want to VCR it. Tune in. We want to tune in because this is this is patriotism personified in one man. And I'm so grateful for your service to this country. When are you, uh, you have any plans to go on Fox News or Newsmax or any of those shows? Uh, well, they had not they had not reached out to me. Uh, if I, they do, I'll let you know so you can uh, tune in and record it. Uh, but I'm willing yeah. to to speak to them. I mean, these are the same people that well, that's great. claim to be to be wanting immigrants like me, somebody who assimilates, somebody who come here legally, somebody who get an education, somebody who pays for hit their taxes, somebody who joined the military, somebody who is a police officer or was a police officer, somebody who protected our democracy. These are the check marks that they claim to want from yeah. immigrants when they talk about reform. And yet, they, as I speak in my book, American Shield, these are the, the ideals and principles that they don't want to talk to me because I don't fit their narrative of uh, it was another entity other than Trump supporter who attacked the Capitol. And uh, yeah. to, it's a great disservice to people like me and people uh, around the country because they are clearly lying to, to the American people when they say nothing happened on, uh, on January 6th. What I would like well, to have is the uh, uh, Speaker of the House uh, Mike Johnson to release the tapes of them themselves mm -hmm. running for their lives right. with the time that when they were being evacuated by the Capitol Police while I was fighting in the tunnel, uh, those are the tapes that he should be releasing, not the walk right. around peaceful protest that he claimed to, to the people were doing. Well, unfortunately, he's lying to the American people when he says he wants transparency. He wants the opposite. He doesn't want people to see what happened to you, what happened to other officers, what happened when he when when members of Congress were running as quickly as they could to escape. But I just want to get back to you and just thank you for your service to America. I want you to know that here, here at least, I don't know why other networks wouldn't I mean, want to have you on. Here, at least, we salute your patriotism. We salute your service to this country. We salute you going into combat. We salute you uh, for, for all of your service in Iraq. We salute you for wearing the uniform uh, as a police officer. We thank you. And uh, we're very grateful you came here. The new book is entitled American Shield, The Immigrant Sergeant Who Defended Democracy. What a great American story, Mika. It Absolutely. makes me proud to it, be an American. Well, it does. I mean, he Where at least is, I know I'm free. Exactly. And I you mean, would seriously. Think that news networks will. Well, Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. 
Ashley for the love of home.